Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients' products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. Our guest expert for this episode of Smart Supply Chain is Jack Sexton. ALOM's Chief Financial Officer. Jack, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. Nice to be here. So I think that we have a lot on our list of topics that we can cover today, but mostly I want to talk about how the economic environment globally, but especially in the U.S., is impacting supply chain and supply chain management. Everything from recessionary pressures, layoffs, inflation, higher interest rates, just a wide variety of things. Where should we start? Yeah, I think the economy right now, the biggest challenge that I see is uncertainty. Everybody is just battling an uncertain environment. And so it's hard to plan. It's hard to invest in new capital and new space and new equipment just because of that uncertainty. And people keep saying, okay, it's gonna be down, it's gonna do this, but it hasn't turned that bad yet. It's the uncertainty that people are worried that it's going to turn down that is driving the the challenge. The supply chain and to the whole economy in my mind. Don't you think that sometimes the expectation of a recession creates this self-fulfilling prophecy? I would agree with that. More people anticipate a recession, the more likely it is to come forward. But There's also a level of people just knowing that there's a strong demand and things need to be fulfilled, and therefore, let's do it while there's still that demand. And so it's not a certainty that things are going to turn down and be bad and weak and low demand. It's continuing pretty strong, and so therein lies the challenge, how to just stay robust and meeting that demand and be ready in the event that things do really turn down from an employment standpoint, from a an overall demand standpoint. So talk with me about uncertainty in supply chains. I mean, it shows up in a lot of different places. Does it have tentacles in every part of the supply chain? It does. And I think um, I think the way that we manage well within that is to be able to increase capacity at a moment's notice and very quickly when the demand arrives and needs to be met. We have strong relationships and we can draw on those relationships to bring in large numbers of people to fulfill kits, to fulfill technology products around the globe. Whatever needs to be done, we can do it very quickly at very high demands. And we demonstrated that certainly at the end of 2021 into first quarter of 2022, we had very strong demand that we met with these resources. And we expect to see that again, actually, as this fiscal year, where we're seeing surges and spikes in certain areas that we feel we'll we'll have to meet and we'll meet with a flexible labor force that we've got on the ready when needed. Talk with me a little bit about our customers. So the bigger corporations, the bigger entities that are partnering with ALOM to handle specific supply chain programs, or maybe all of their supply chain needs. 
they're obviously in this situation where they're uncertain to where their demand is going to come from, how their customers are going to hold up. How can they decrease their uncertainty? Would it be in making sure that they have partnered with companies like Alom that are thinking about being flexible and, and being agile? I guess the idea of weathering uncertainty is having people on your team and partners that are like-minded in the way that they think about uncertainty? Yes. I think having partners like Alam is absolutely one of the ways that they can deal with the fluctuations we're talking about. One of the reasons we're able to do that is because we have a large portfolio of, of customers, Fortune 100 customers. And so there's always where there's three or four that are in a bit of a lag because of the slower demand, we see surges elsewhere. So we're able to reallocate those resources and continue and thrive as a company despite pockets that are slow, and but we're able to reduce the charges to those customers because we can reallocate the resources elsewhere. Now, there's the saying that a rising tide lifts all ships, right? But the idea that in periods of distress or downturns, not everyone is suffering equally. And so that's a really good point to make that while there might be specific segments or parts of the economy overall that are being more impacted by inflation or interest rates, there are going to still be some sectors where demand is holding strong and maybe even increasing. Exactly. And I think a good example of that is targeted freight activity. There can be lower amounts in total being shipped, but that still requires that targeted exact freight shipments have to occur in maybe greater frequency or in smaller quantities to the right location. And so our need to plan and to drive perhaps slightly lower total quantities, but still targeted, accurate freight shipments doesn't change. We need to continue that. We're able to create higher volumes. We get better prices. We offer those prices to our clients. And guess what? Our volumes continue to increase. So freight is an excellent example where surprisingly, we're actually moving solidly up and to the right in the volumes just because of the need to do more, be more strategic and move the freight more accurately, I would say, or in a precise way on behalf of our customers. We're entering into, I think at this point, maybe over a year of Russia and Ukraine being a war. I think that we're seeing some tensions rising in different parts of the world. And I'm just wondering, our geopolitical uncertainty, is that just layering on top of the economic uncertainty? Or do you see those as being inextricably linked in some way? Yeah, no, I think it's an extra layer. And that's another reason to watch it very carefully. And we do the management of our assets and having large quantities of inventory in higher risk areas of the globe is not something we want to do. You know, generally receivables are risky in the sense that you never know what's going to happen with a particular legal entity or someone out in the public arena, public company hitting challenges that result in potential right off of that account receivable. We haven't had that and we've navigated a number of situations successfully but it's an extra layer. We watch our receivables very carefully, even though they're in the U.S. and there's uncertainty with respect to the entity that's behind them. And geographically, when our inventory, frankly, is in higher risk geographies, then we're very concerned there and we try and bring that down. So that's a good example. Normally in a slowdown, and I would say last couple of quarters, it hasn't been recession. They keep projecting recession and discussing that maybe it's out there on the horizon. 
but it hasn't actually hit officially yet. But normally in that kind of an environment, you'll see increasing inventories. And if anything, we've managed to lower our inventory just, again, through focus, comparable to the discussion we just had on freight. Just very exact planning, exact management of incoming inventories to slowly reduce inventories. And that, as a general matter, has a good impact on our financials, of course. But when those inventories were otherwise sitting in uh, risky geographies, then it's another reason for us to say, okay, let's take it down even to the extent we can for the second reason, which is geopolitical risk. Generally speaking, our inventories are not highly risky in that they, they're known assets that are required and contractually we've got some coverage there. But the second layer that you brought up, the geopolitical one is real. We've managed to significantly reduce our inventories for both economic and geopolitical risk reasons. So one of the things that seems to be a nice segue from talking about geopolitical risk would be a conversation about taxation, exports, tariffs. I know that you're thinking about that on a daily basis and working with our customers to work through those very tangled tax rules and financial rules. What is happening in that part of supply chain right now? Yeah. Generally speaking, on tariffs, this is something we offer to our clients where we manage it. And on a pass-through basis, we just try and minimize what is incurred in terms of those duties and taxes. And so the big thing there is technology, of course, to make sure we know right away if there's a tariff that is increasing or changing on a certain product. In many cases, if you challenge it in a correct way, you can get that additional tariff taken down and removed. And that, of course, is passed on to the customer in a lower tariff, duty and tariff charge. And so you minimize where you can, but then there's an efficiency of just saying, okay, that which we are subject to on the duty and tax, we've got to aggregate it, and then we've got to make it available to the customer. And we, of course, allow them full audit and review process so that they're familiar with what they're being charged and comfortable that it's all um, optimized, if you will, and not overpaid. And then once that's done, there's a, a settlement process and we move forward to the next period of processing and, and moving product, again, that is subject to these duties and taxes. So are we in a period where duties and taxes and tariffs and all of that, are they at a stable level? Over time, we've come down a little bit from the, the spike that we saw in the 2018-2019 period where there was a lot of tariff and counter back and forth between China and the U.S. in terms of tariff changes resulting from the exchange at the government level. So I think that's dialed back a little bit. It's not in the headlines like it was in 2018, 2019, but it's still real. And there's still these evolving, changing punitive charges that you just got to know about and push back when it's called for to make sure you don't get overcharged on duty and tax. So let's transition the conversation and talk about the two I's, interest rates and inflation. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on inflation and how inflation has impacted supply chain. Where do you think it has made the biggest hit? Yeah, for sure. One thing that has really been hit hard by inflation in the past five plus years has been the warehouse space. So warehouse space, especially in High demand areas have gone very high very quickly. So the inflation rate in the 40s and 50% in the latest round of negotiations with the landlords uh, with regard to warehouse space, the higher rates have stuck in their holding. So that's one example. And the other one is salary. So salary spiked, I would say, in 2021, fourth quarter. They settled a little bit, 
but now they're slowly creeping back up. And especially for the specialized skilled employees, forklift drivers, people with special uh, warehousing skills, the rates continue to climb and climb for those direct employees. It's not only the actual cost of materials and the actual cost of goods when you're manufacturing something where the inflation is showing up. It's showing up in the cost of labor to manufacture it, the cost to house it, the cost of freight to move it around. And so it's a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, and then all of it adds up to quite a bit more of an expense in producing something. You summarized the the biggies, the warehouse the labor to logistically move the product back and forth and the freight. One thing we're able to do is, as a bigger player, increase our volumes on on behalf of the overall portfolio that we're working with, the portfolio of customers. And then we can go to the table and use that increased volumes to get better rates within a structure that's a little bit inflationary, but still the two are offsetting and hopefully we can swing in our direction with the higher volumes. One eye that you mentioned that I didn't touch on was the interest. And interest rate charges are significant. And as we are asked to hold large amounts of inventory, that's definitely on the table and discussed with our customers, the cost of capital associated with holding those higher inventory levels. At the end of the first quarter of 2022, we knew that customers would be holding a lot of excess inventory and just dealing with that and managing it down is critical. Not holding stuff that's not moving, that's not churning and driving activity is helpful to our customers in the sense that we help them not let it sit and collect dust and interest charges because it's unnecessarily high. Minus the whole interest charge aspect of it, it almost sounds like we're talking about my closet. Anybody who's (laughs) listened to this podcast, apparently I have made it clear that I buy too many dresses. And There is a point where I look at my closet and I think to myself, I'm holding too much excess inventory and that I need to get rid of some of it. Of course, no interest rates attached to it, I guess, unless I bought it on a credit card. (laughs) (laughs) So I am, if we were to be approaching this from the perspective of an organization, one of ALOM's clients, and we're talking about inflation, how are they approaching the ways to reduce inflation? Are they looking to change their supply chain partners? Are they looking to minimize what they're doing on their own? So maybe instead of one of our customers having their own warehouse, they're looking to partner with us and we handle their warehousing. Or likewise, maybe their logistics. Is that where you're seeing where it's maybe more outsourcing of different pieces of the supply chain in an effort to reduce inflationary pressures. We do see that in discussions with customers. There is an element where a customer decides, okay, you guys are better at this than we are in terms of managing the peripherals on their business, the pieces that help their business move, but it's not their sort of core competence. The discussion goes very quickly to, okay, you take care of the reverse logistics, the forward logistics. Oh, and by the way, why don't you guys just take the warehouse? Because that's not something we're very good at either. So the discussion happens very quickly. And if we can put something in in our managed facilities and remove from the customer a need to uh, set up and maintain and manage their own separate warehouse because they've outsourced that to us, that's a huge savings overall. Companies, organizations buying inventory, typically I'm assuming they're buying inventory with their lines of credit. And 
paying interest on them. And so wanting to turn over the inventory and sell off the inventory and have the right amount of inventory is important to keeping that interest charge under control. Are there other places within the organization, within the supply chain, where these increased interest rates are rearing their ugly head? Inventory is the big one. Most entities have leases, so they're probably not putting a bunch of of their cash in new brick and mortar facilities that they use to manage their business. But no, I would say that's the biggest one. And I think having a third party involved with our technology, we're easily able to identify which SKUs and which items are the items that are stale and not moving and in need of settlement or scrapping or removal and not to let stale activity levels in the form of inventory that's sitting on shelves but rather identify them and come up with a plan to do something to remove it and get the staleness out of the relationship between ourselves and the customer. ALOM is based in Silicon Valley, which is why ALOM has such a connection and an emphasis on technology. I'm sure there's been ripples or you're in one of the areas where a very large bank failed essentially with Silicon Valley Bank. And I'm curious if we're, what your thoughts are, not specifically with that bank only, but the idea of bank failures and interest rates contributing to the bank failures and what that means for companies that are looking for lines of credit, looking for financing, looking to keep their supply chains and their companies afloat. Is there any trickle down to the supply chains? And I go back to our use of technology and our nimbleness on moving inventory and moving product right away and not waiting. That was actually a big part of the banking issue that evolved, especially with Silicon Valley Bank and others, was the the client base was very dynamic and very uh, action-oriented. And with any sort of indication of concern, their clients were very astute and tech savvy and immediately moved their cash to maybe a stronger, larger institution. It's indicative of just having a dynamic client base that doesn't sleep on and remain inactive when something like this comes up. Fortunately, we were not impacted at all by by those banks that did struggle, but we do have relationships with very large banks and, and we do actually have situations where our cash is spread out. So we have the full FDIC insurance on all of our holdings. But I think it's just an example of tech-savvy, very quick decision-making communities. It's just an example where you want to be in with the groups that are moving and changing rapidly to keep pace with developments in the markets. Is there anything else that you think that we should chat about for the podcast? Anything else that maybe I've left out or is a particular message that you would send to organizations that are concerned about the economic situation, concerned about inflation, interest rates? I would turn to finish would be the notion that we talked about throughout the podcast here is the focus and expertise and making sure we stay in that zone where we have the expertise and the focus. And at ALAM, we serve four verticals. We stay in those four verticals and we specialize in those four verticals. We don't venture out. And therefore, our customers that sit in one of those four can feel comfortable that they're working with a supply chain partner that is we stick to our knitting and we stay in those verticals. We know them well and we manage to them well. Talking about expertise, ALOM is 26 years old. Last year, it celebrated its 25th anniversary. In that 26 years, the leadership at ALOM has experienced downturns in the economy. This is about experience 
riding the waves of up and down economic periods, economic downturns and, and really boom times. To me, that makes a difference, right? Knowing how to navigate that counts for a lot. Sure. And yeah, Elon's been around for a long time and we've been very focused on what we provide and growing that within the economy and more and more supply chain focus, certainly over the last five, 10 years. So yeah, I think that experience is very helpful. And I think remaining in the sectors that we are, we, we help to manage through downturns by being in areas that, that are just fundamentally growth areas. So sticking to your knitting, remaining consistent and always current with the, the items that we're transacting is a big part of the success, the secret sauce, if you will, at ALOC. I really appreciate you taking time to, to share your insights and your expertise with our audience, the smart supply chain audience. I look forward to having you back on the podcast. Thanks very much, Jennifer. And uh, really, I have to give you kudos for your dress analogy. That was a good one. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information or to contact ALOM, go to ALOM.com. That's A-L-O-M.com.